Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Indeed, today is the day. Today's the day the Lord has made. Um, How are you connecting the dots today? That's what we're going to spend a little time doing here at the top of the hour. Um, Although Paul Perot has reminded me that I at least need to put the casual question out there before people. Uh, Chick-fil-A or Popeye's, which side of the chicken sandwich war are you on? I will admit to you that I have not made a foray over onto the Popeye's side Um, of the debate. I have not tasted the Popeye's chicken sandwich, and so I don't really feel like I can make any sort of unbiased uh, assessment. And so I might have to rectify that today, and hopefully Popeye's will not have run out of product, because apparently that is the big issue in this chicken sandwich, uh, chicken fried chicken war, chicken sandwich war. I don't really know. The chicken sandwich war, I think, is the way we're supposed to be thinking about it. All right. So if you want to weigh in on that, feel free on the text line 877-933-2484. Thank you to whoever it was that got on Twitter and followed Adam Carrington. He now has more than 666 followers. So I feel uh, I just feel instantly better. Okay, Uh, a couple of headlines that uh, I'm going to spend some time on here this morning. Priscilla Schreier, um, whose name you recognize, she she has uh, posted some comments about why she thinks we are where we are in terms of our cultural conversations today. You will recognize her as the daughter of Tony Evans. She's also starring in the Kendrick Brothers film Overcomer, which lots and lots of people saw over the weekend. Um, and she um, she has a message that, that has been posted at the Christian Post out to pastors Um And parents, I would say. This is really targeted to her parents. And it's a conversation about language. It's a conversation about words. And it's a conversation about the Word of God. And so I felt like this gave us an opportunity to talk about the changing ways in which we use words. And that the choices that you and I make each and every day in the words that we choose to use and the ways in which we choose to use those words, that is actually culture-making. You, you are making culture today by the very words you choose to use and the ways in which you choose to use those words. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, um, but when we talk about sowing the seed, um, uh, we talk about sowing peace and we talk about being people who are cultivating the culture and cultivating the mind of Christ on the matters of the day, when we talk about um, planting the word of God in whatever soil it is we find ourselves in in the culture, when we talk about being people who are actively tilling the soil of the conversation of our day, changing every conversation, we recognize that culture is a garden and we are out there as God's ambassadors deployed in it in every time and place. The words that we choose to use and the ways in which we choose to use those words is tremendously important and impactful. And so when we allow the culture to redefine or co-opt language, we are actually allowing 
um, other seed to be planted in the culture. And that other seed is going to produce fruit that is unrighteous. Let me just go ahead and tell you, if you don't like the unrighteous fruit in the culture today, then you have to be a culture gardener today. And you have to be a person who is tilling the soil and planting the seed of God's word and goodness and beauty and truth in order that God might have a harvest of righteousness unto himself in the future. Certainly God is going to be the one who gives the growth. There's no question about that. But God chooses to use people, you and I, kingdom ambassadors, people deployed in every time and place uh, across this country and around the world to do uh, the work, the labor in this culture, uh, this garden where he has placed us today as stewards. So um, I use Priscilla Schreier's comments that culture's rejection of biblical definitions, such as that of male and female, um, culture's biblical or, or rejection of the biblical definition of marriage, on and on and on, uh, leads to then not only individual identity crises, but a crisis of identity for the church and a crisis of identity for us as a culture writ large. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about reconnecting the dots. We're going to talk about um, uh, the the way in which culture has co-opted words and redefined them in order that you and I might be equipped for the conversations of this day. So we'll be right back. All right, I'm just rebellious enough that I always want a revolution. I just want it to be a gospel revolution. That's actually my husband's language, not mine. So a little shout out to Jim this morning. I'm trying to foment the gospel revolution that he sees just on the horizon and wants to invite into uh, contemporary American conversation, uh, not just on the political front, but right in the in in the lives of individuals. We want to see. Let me just tell you what my husband and I want to see. We want to see the word of God restored to its rightful place in the life of every believer. We want to see the church restored to her rightful place in the life of the culture. And we want to see the culture used by God um, to extend the kingdom of Jesus Christ to more and more people. That's the gospel revolution we're looking for. And part of the challenge is that so many people have reduced the gospel down to, um, and, and this is essential, but it's not sufficient. So the, to the essential component of are you saved? Are you as an individual saved in Jesus Christ? Have you placed your faith in him? Are you walking by faith uh, in the spirit day by day? Like, th- And that's an essential part of the gospel conversation. But the gospel is God's redemptive arc and plan of redemption for all of human history. It's not just about you. So we have like reduced it in our individualized American mindset to imagine that it's just a me and Jesus conversation. And as long as I'm good with God through Jesus, then the rest of it can go to hell in a handbasket and I don't care. That's actually not the gospel. That's the gospel reduced to just an individualized me and Jesus answer to one question. That is not the gospel writ large all uh, over the over the entire cosmology, over the whole course of human history, over all that has ever been and ever will be. The, the gospel is big, really, really big and intensely personal because it's about a God who is personal. The universe is personal. Like if you get one thing out of anything I ever say. Get this. The gospel and and the universe are personal because God is personal, not because you are a person, but because God is personal and you are his image bearer here on the earth. So everything about human life that is good and beautiful and true is an image of something that is eternal and godly and true and beautiful. Okay, so. 
That's why when we talk about being image bearers, you and I are supposed to image the personal character qualities of the reality of who God is. We talk about marriage being an image here on earth of an eternal reality, Christ and his bride, the church, all right? Those definitions, male and female, marriage, they're not actually up for debate. God has defined them. They have meaning. They bear out truth. Now, we have in our culture today um, utterly redefined those terms as if we were in a position to do that, as if we were in a position in authority over God to tell God what he has made and to tell God how we are going to behave because of what we want to do. So you see how all of that is just an absolute affront and mockery of who God is. So it's not about whether or not um, somebody is living according to a biblical principle. Like, I get that we like to distill it down that way. I, I like that we like the simplistic hey, the Bible says that you're supposed to live in this way, and so if you're not living in this way, you know, you're bad. Okay, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, and therein lies the point. The issue is not, like, don't make a pope of the Bible, okay? Don't, don't make a paper, paper pope, okay? The Bible is essential, but it's also not God. At issue is the glory of God. All have sinned and done what? Fallen short of what the Bible says? No, all have sinned and fallen short of of the glory of God. If you want to be focused on one thing today, if you want to be focused on one thing in your life, be focused on the glory of God. First of all, it will give you eternal hope. It will, it will bring you joy and contentment in the midst of total ridiculous chaos in, on every other front. The, the glory of God is going to get his glory. God is going to get his glory. Um, Are there many things going on in the culture that are offensive to God? Yes. That are sinful? Yes. That are broken? Yes. That appear absolutely unredeemed and maybe even unredeemable? Yeah, they look that way, but they're not. They're not. The gospel is God's cosmological redemptive plan for all of human history. There is not another way, and God is going to get his glory. The question is, is he going to get his glory today through me and you? Are we going to participate in giving God the glory, do who he is, and do his name? That's, that is really the question. So if people are struggling today to understand who they are, they're struggling to understand who they are in relationship to other people, they're struggling to understand where they fit, um, all of that is a conversation about who God is and understanding uh, God as a person and understanding the, the universe as personal. And those are conversations that you and I can get into with everybody. With everybody, there's no barrier to that conversation in the culture today. There are barriers to the conversations that focus on somebody's individual proclivities, like somebody's individual sin or sinfulness. Those are hard conversations to have. It's easy to talk about God and his glory and that he's going to get his glory. The question is whether or not he's going to get his glory from you and me. So um, I'm going to continue to till the soil in just a minute. And part of what we're going to talk about is how we have replaced, or we are finding these replacements, they're, they're false replacements, but they're replacements nonetheless, for, um, for what the church was really designed to do and be. And so we're going to have that conversation up next. I've got to take one more quick break.
All right, so I'm reading a headline um, from Christianity Today, and the headline is this, In Christ Alone, Most Believers Say They Don't Need Others for Discipleship. The subhead, this article, by the way, by Megan Fowler, uh, the subhead, U.S. Christians are growing in their faith, but many do it on their own, according to LifeWay Research. So here's what's going on. Um, Christians imagine, American Christians imagine, this is so individualistic, this is so American, Um, Christians imagine that having come to faith in Jesus Christ by their own decision, they can now pursue Jesus Christ by their own methodology, um, by their own plan, setting aside any involvement in institutional Christianity, setting aside any engagement in or membership in or commitment to the life of a local congregation. And so I'm not suggesting here that, uh, that a house church is in any way insufficient. What I am suggesting is that if you think that you can cobble together your own plan of discipleship without being engaged with with a more mature Christian who's actually discipling you, if you think you can do it apart from other people, if you think that you can walk the pilgrim journey um, without any help, without, uh, without any community, without any fellowship, then you are doing it differently than uh, the way the Bible describes Christians living in community with one another under the teaching of the uh, of the apostles and the prophets, um, breaking bread together, sharing in genuine fellowship, and encouraging one another in their walk of faith. So, my I guess my question is how where is your where is your accountability coming from um, in terms of the fruit inspection? If your only fruit inspection comes by you standing in the mirror and looking at yourself, because I have to tell you that um, the the rational mind is pretty strong here to rationalize behaviors that uh, are things that align with, um, remember, your heart is desperately wicked, right? And so it's going gonna, it's gonna to lead us to uh, affirm things about ourselves that are not conformed to who Christ is. We need Christian community, if for nothing else, than discipline. We need Christian community, though, I think, because corporate worship is uh, is is how God designed us. Individual worship is wonderful, but family worship and corporate worship are also essential. We can do more together as Christians than we can do individually um, in terms of the impact that we can have in our communities and in the world. So there I'm talking about mission. Um, Certainly as individuals, we are in a relationship with God restored through Jesus Christ, and, and we are walking day by day by the Spirit. So there is, I understand, I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest here that there's not an individual component to what it means to be a Christian and walk by faith. What I am saying is, if you think you can do it all by yourself, um, then you need to ask yourself why Jesus didn't just do it all by himself. Why did he bother to have disciples at all? Why did he bother to have relationships with people if he didn't intend for them to be in community with one another uh, by his spirit? And, And how is it that as one brick, you are the whole institution, how, how is it as one part of the body, you are the whole body? You're just not. And so, you know, this gets to the conversations in the Bible that Paul is trying to have with the early church. You know, you can't, uh, you know, you may be a wonderful finger, but that doesn't even make you a hand, let alone a hand that is connected um, in, in an integral way to the body of Christ. I remember a conversation that I had here with Dan Darling some time ago about loving the bride. Like, can you be a Christian? Can you be a disciple of Jesus Christ who is the bridegroom? If you don't love the bride, if you don't love the church, if you're not a part of 
what God is doing through the way God is choosing to do it, which is through the life of something we call the church, the the ecclesia, the gathering of people, um, the fellowship of the saints, the family of God. If you are doing it disconnected from all of that, um, then do you love the bride? And can you just love the groom? I, I, it's it's just a question that I'm putting out there um, for each one of us to ask ourselves today as we engage in um, in the question of how involved we are in the life and fellowship of a local worshiping community. And again, I'm not saying that it has to be, you know, denominationally affiliated. I'm not even saying that it has to uh, that it has to have, you know, a building of its own. Right. But you've got to be connected as a disciple of Jesus Christ with other disciples of Jesus Christ. You have to be in fellowship. You have to have someone discipling you. And in the other direction, you have to be actively discipling someone. Or guess what? You're not actually engaged in the Great Commission. I mean, you're doing something, but you're not engaged in the Great Commission, which is the making of disciples. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ if you are actively making another disciple. Otherwise, you don't actually live up to the definition of a, of a biblical disciple. So, so I want you to look in your life and say, hmm, am I being made a disciple by someone else? Like, who is discipling me actively today? And if the answer to that question is no one, then you have essentially sort of become your own head. And that's not where we're supposed to be. It doesn't matter how mature we are in our walk of faith. Someone needs to be discipling us. There is someone further along than you. Um, and then on the other side of that, so whose authority are you sitting under in terms of teaching and in terms of, uh, of holding you accountable in your, in your walk, in your life of faith? But in the other direction, who are you actively discipling? Who, who is it right now that you are actively discipling in the faith? And if the answer to that question is no one, today's the day to go out there and get you one. Get you one. Because I guarantee you there is somebody that is not as far along in their walk of faith as you are. How do I know that? Because you're actually listening to this, all right, which, which tells me that you are a believer who is concerned about bringing the gospel to bear on, on everyday life. You are concerned about reconnecting the eternal with the everyday. You are concerned about faith in life and walking it out in ways that honor Jesus. And so you're pretty far along, um, which means you should have someone uh, who, into whom you are actively pouring the faith and, and, and in whose life you are helping to cultivate um, the righteous fruit that brings God glory. So those are um, the conversations that I think that we have to be having today as the culture is having conversations about sort of going it their own way and doing it their own way and defining it all their own way. We have to constantly be saying to ourselves, okay, where is my discipleship and how am I engaged actively uh, as a disciple of Jesus Christ with other disciples in fellowship, in community, uh, under the teaching of, you know, of a Bible preaching pastor. I mean, the list goes, the list is long, but there you go. That's my encouragement. All right, I'm going to take a quick break for Breakpoint, and then we'll be back. So what's going on around the world today? What uh, What is happening at the G7? That is where the President of the United States is currently participating in conversations with other world leaders in terms of the world's largest, seven largest economies. Um, They had a surprise visit. Well, I don't know. It was a surprise to all the rest of us. I I suspect it was not a surprise to them. Uh, When an Iranian, Iranian, let me note that again, Iranian uh, jet landed 
in the small French town where the G7 summit is taking place. We're going to tell you who was on that jet and what those conversations are all about. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. A step-parent's job is never easy. And unfortunately, it only gets harder when your stepchild hits adolescence. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. No matter how much loving care you give, all too often step-parents experience rejection and anger from their stepchild. A step-parent becomes the target of the teen's regret. It might come from her sense of loss. She might even believe incorrectly that her life would be much happier and problem-free if you'd never come along. So if tensions are high right now between you and your step-teen, take heart. Though you can't force her to stop thinking the way she does, her feelings of loss won't go on forever. And one day, she'll understand the other side and see you as her solution, not her problem. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. My name is Bond, James Bond. Dr. David Aikman from Godspeed Magazine is back with us this morning. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Carmen. How are you today? Well, I am well. Um, So I am told that you might be in good spirits today because of some uh, sporting news. That's correct. Um, England won the third of the Ashes test with Australia. And if they had not won this last one, uh, Australia would have kept the Ashes. But there are two more test matches to go. And it's possible England may recover them. And second, England beat Ireland at rugby 56-13 which is a sort of humiliating defeat for the poor Irish, who generally are very good at rugby. So this is a very surprising result. Okay, so in that first conversation, um, you're going to even have to identify the sport that we're talking about. Uh, it's, it, you know, the ashes are at risk and the ashes may go one place or another. Uh, what sport are we talking about? We're talking about cricket carp. Crickets are bugs, man. I know. It's just such a confusing reality that you and I share the same planet. Because here in the United uh, States of America, people are kind of excited about the start of the football season, both the college season. This was week zero. And uh, and the the pro football season is actually getting underway. And that doesn't even translate. Because when I say football here and you say football there, we don't mean the same. We don't even mean the same ball. Well, don't forget, Carmen, I lived in America for several decades. I'm very familiar with the football terminology and, indeed, baseball. But Making you – yes, Sorry. so because you understand football on both sides of the yeah. pond, because you understand rugby and cricket and baseball, you are the premier candidate for a conversation about international diplomacy and what is happening at the G7 <laughs> in France. Well, uh, would it were as simple as that if I could translate uh, athletics knowledge to diplomacy, I would be in seventh heaven, but I, I'm not very good at doing that, but we'll see. We'll so I'll just I'll just set it up this way. Uh, is the president of the United States, from your perspective, uh, 
is the president of the United States and the other leaders who are gathered in France at the G7 meeting, are they even all playing the same game? Yes, they are playing the same game. And actually, it on the face of it, it looks as though there might be All right. So I think we momentarily lost him. Uh, Paul will work diligently to get him back. Let me just go ahead and give a little spoiler alert here for those uh, that don't know who landed on that Iranian uh, jet. So here's here's the the long and the short of it. They closed the airport in this little town of, well, it's not a small city of Baritz in southern France. They closed the airport while these G7 groups of nations are meeting and yet an, an airliner landed, a jet landed. And so this flight tracker website, you can't do anything today. You can't like you can't do anything secret today. Like you can't have secret meetings. People can't show up secretly to your meetings. It just doesn't work. So this flight tracker website alerts everybody around the globe that, in fact, an Iranian jet landed uh, at this closed airport in France where, you know, the G7 is taking place. And so now we, of course, all need to know who is on the plane and what's going on. Uh, it's the uh, it's the foreign minister from uh, from Iran, foreign uh, Iran's foreign minister, Mohammad Zavad Sarif, who you will remember um, negotiated the deal between uh, Iran and the other nations in the world in terms of what we call the Iran nuclear deal. So anyway, that's who is also apparently in the town where the G7 is taking place, although officials say he is not planning on having any talks with the U.S. president or his summit delegation. All right. Uh, while you were away, David, um, I just briefed them in that uh, that the Iranian foreign minister is also present uh, at the G7, but not in the meetings of the G7. So tell us what's That's going right. on at the G7. Well, people anticipated a little bit of a ruckus because Donald Trump at the previous G7 meeting in Canada last year got into quite a spat with Pierre, with uh, Trudeau, Prime Minister Trudeau, the Canadian Prime Minister. And there were some sort of unpleasant words exchanged. But this time, um, everybody seems to be on good behavior. Trump had a very good meeting with Boris Johnson, whom he is championing as the British Prime Minister and the guy who's going to get written out of the EU through Brexit. And there are obviously disagreements on China. And uh, I think uh, Johnson and the other European leaders are opposed to Trump's hard stand on China trade, particularly on Huawei. So we'll have to see where that goes. I don't think there's going to be a complete split on this. But basically, the leaders agree on fundamental issues and particularly on the rainforest in, in Brazil and the fires there. Well, and it appears as if Brazil's president has responded to international concern um, and deployed the Brazilian military to fight those fires. So that may be one positive step forward. Um, let's uh, let's pivot sure. really quick. Maybe we can talk uh, about the resignation of Italy's prime minister. For those of us uh, in places like the United States of America, you have to remind us um, how these governments are formed and why it's not like it is here. Well, the difference is that European governments are parliamentary governments in almost every case. They don't have 
an election of an executive president who then gives orders to everybody. So parliamentary majorities of one party over another party are very important. And in Italy, the uh, Italian Prime Minister Conte, Giuseppe Conte, resigned because he ran into a big disagreement on policy with Saldini, who is the head of the League, uh, which is one of the populist parties that recently got a lot of seats in the Italian parliament. And those two are not on speaking terms. So the poor Italian government and the poor Italian people are in for quite an amount of instability in politics. And most of the most of the conversations with all the Italians indicate that people are just fed up with political back and forth, and they don't think uh, the country is being properly led at all. Okay, my conversation partner is David Aikman. He, uh, I just love talking with him on Mondays to sort of help us understand what's happening around the globe and enter into the conversations of the day uh, with our worldview intact. So when we return from the break, we're going to we're going to talk about Russia, where uh, a number of internationally maintained radiation monitors have gone offline following a Russian explosion there. Uh, and so we, he and I are going to talk about the nuclear fallout and the, well, and the international fallout related to it. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, so just hearing that uh, that little... I don't know what we call that, that little piece that we just had prior to coming back when they talk about true spirituality. That's one of my favorite books. I don't know if people have read Francis Schaeffer's True Spirituality, but uh, literally, it's How to Live for Jesus Moment by Moment, one of the best books ever. I actually think you can pretty much get the PDF for free online these days. So if you're looking for something to read to edify your faith, True Spirituality by Francis Schaeffer, I don't think there's anything better out there. Okay, uh, continuing my conversation with Dr. David Aikman. What did you you want? You have something to add to that? That's a little off script for us. No, I, I haven't actually read Francis Schaeffer's that particular book, although I've read um, other books by him, and he's a very impressive character. He had an influence on many people who are now very prominent apologists for the Christian faith. Indeed, one of my one, definitely one of my favorites. Okay, uh, so David, let's talk about Russia. Right. Well, as a preface to my response on this, I happened to be in Moscow when the Chernobyl disaster happened. And Mm. of course, it was in Soviet times, and you could never trust Soviet uh, press releases. And we knew something was very funny even before the international reports came in, when Soviet task news agencies started doing lots of reports on accidents at American nuclear installations. And we all thought, what's going on here? And usually when a disaster happened in somewhere in the Soviet Union, some accident, some plane crash, there'll be reports on American failures in aviation safety. So we thought that something very suspicious was happening. And sure enough, international monitors began to pick up this vast radiation uh, coming out of the Chernobyl reactor in in Belarus. Belarus. 
So this thing is a rather analogous situation where people have really detected massive explosions and the Russians have been experimenting with missiles powered by nuclear energy that in theory could go on for a very long period of time without refueling. So the two Russian missile technology, Russian nuclear experimentation are mixed up in what was obviously a very serious accident somewhere in, in Russia. And we don't uh, we don't know that it is well. We we certainly assume it's not on the scale of Chernobyl, but um, but certainly the response of the Russians to this event and the response of the Russians to uh, to the disaster in Chernobyl are very very similar, just in terms of how they are choosing to respond. Maybe um, maybe David, we talk about uh, we talk. You want to talk about the U.S. testing a rocket that is banned by the INF, or you want to talk about Syria? Uh, Well, let's talk about Syria, because I think that's an ongoing issue. And I think the INF question is probably going to be resolved before too long. But the Syrian situation is quite serious, because for the first time, the Israelis actually admitted that they had attacked sites of Iranian Revolutionary Guards headquartered in Syria. And they made the case that they had to keep attacking these locations because what the Iranians were doing was trying to set up a series of missile stations surrounding Israel so they could fulfill their ambition of wiping Israel off the mat of the map. So it's an existential threat to Israel. And they're really beginning to speak openly now at what they're doing. Um, so, you know, I think, David, when we when we consider. It's hard for me to avoid Hong Kong when I have you on the line, um, when we consider what's happening around the globe in what just feels like to me um, it's it's almost like there's no adult in the room. And so. Um, bad actors seem to be feeling as if they can pretty much do what they want um, in their, you know, in their realms of uh, uh, of influence. Um, am I? Am do you feel? Do you feel that as well? No, I don't interpret it that way, Carmen. Because I think we're dealing with more than just bad actors here. We're dealing with really bad, in fact, wicked systems of governance, Mm. especially in the case of Hong Kong, where the Chinese Communist Party is really revealing how incredibly uh, gangster-like they are in getting political control of places where they think they want to have control. And, of course, Hong Kong, technically now part of the... Uh, sovereignty of the People's Republic of China is directly in their sights. And the people of Hong Kong, lo and behold, are not shutting up and going home to watch TV. They're continuing to process Now, This is now 12 weeks in a row ending last Sunday when we had demonstrations against the entire political system of one country, two systems, 
which the Chinese government, the Communist Party, is not fulfilling their bargain on. So people are going to be angry for a very long time. And again, you and I have discussed the you know the prospects for some sort of diplomatic resolution you know, are just not there. And there's nobody really to broker diplomacy in this situation, is there? No, there isn't, because from the Chinese point of view, it's entirely Chinese internal matter. They wouldn't trust any international agency, whether it was the UN or the US or even some multinational, multilateral group of other provenance. They wouldn't trust anybody to tell them how to watch their own uh, territory and how it's behaving. So they're going to be very resistant to any interference as they already have been. David, as a as a person who has uh, watched transitions take place up close, um, you know, just in terms of you know, you you were you you remember communist Russia, like right? I mean, you you remember things that other people don't necessarily remember in terms of. Uh, of being there and seeing things happen. Um, I feel like in this generation, there's a there's a sense that, OK, borders are now fixed. People are where they are. Governments are static. Um, I think we forget the reality of of war and conquest. And we somehow imagine that that's just not going to be the reality going forward. And yet I think we better sober up to that in terms of uh, our sense that things are fixed. Things don't feel very fixed right now. Well, that's true. I mean, the United States has been involved in two wars since Second World War, in Korea and Vietnam. And, well, three, if you include the uh, Iraqi invasion. But most Americans are completely unfamiliar with the situation where you've got what, in effect, is a Cold War which used to be between the Soviet Union, which was communist, and the United States, which was democratic and capitalist, and now is clearly emerging as a new Cold War between China, which is communist, and the United States, which is obviously democratic and capitalist. So I think this new Cold War is going to be much more dangerous than the previous one was because the stakes are much higher. And I think there's just a lot of people, you know, asking the question, who runs to the aid of the people in Hong Kong when, um, you know, when China opens fire? I, I, I think that's a huge question, and I think that it's one we better soberly be prepared um, uh, to recognize. All right, David, you and I have to leave it right there. I'm looking forward, as always, to our next conversation about whatever the next round of headlines is. Thank you so much for being with us on Mornings with Carmen. Great, Carmen. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right, friends, we've uh, we've about done all we can today. So I will leave you with this because people appreciated it last week. When I, you know, it's not just a question of where you are in the word. It's the question of whether or not you're in the word before you're in the world. So be sure you get into the word of God before you get into the world as an agent of God's grace and mercy. That'll be my encouragement today. Uh, hey, just blessings, 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 blessings. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. 
That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.